The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Support for this show comes from Sivananda Ashram Yoga Retreat Bahamas, where yoga is more than a class, it's a way of life. With a mission to promote peace in the world, we invite you to immerse in a yogic lifestyle. Get started at SivanandaBahamas.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today, Andy Baxter is a medical exercise specialist, a world champion master's rower, and the designer of SciFit's new lateral trainer called Sidestep. Andy's essay, This Is Your Brain on Exercise, appears in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Andy Baxter, welcome to Essential Conversations. Good morning, Rabbi. Thanks for having me. So, you know, this is radio and not the print magazine. So do your best to give us a sense of what the brain looks like on exercise. Well, the brain is plastic. The brain changes shape. Uh, when the brain is stimulated, it grows, uh, it morphs. Um, there's a lot of really great stuff going on that uh, even 20 years ago we didn't really know about. So different parts of the brain cool down during exercise and other parts heat up. You know, like during meditation, the part of the brain that feels connected to the universe gets more energized. And the part that gives you the egoic self, the, the eye separate from the rest, cools off. Is there something like that going on in the brain when you're working yeah. out? Yeah, certainly. Um, probably the, the part of the brain that's been most studied would be the, the hippocampus. And so the hippocampal response to exercise is, is profound. There is a lot going on there. There's a pathway that a Swedish researcher by the name of Erickson discovered. And in this pathway is the, the road, if you will, to neurogenesis. So non-distinctive neural cells travel down this pathway from the hippocampus and then uh, they become differentiated. And uh, this is... This is where the new brain cells come from. So is it regenerating brain cells? Yes, it is. And that's the process of uh, neurogenesis. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So where is the hippocampus? This being radio, I would do a terrible job of telling you where the hippocampus is other than it's kind of at center and down. But basically, this highway connects the hippocampus to the olfactory apparatus, and that's where these new brain cells become differentiated. Um, now, why that is, don't know. Um, I don't think anybody really knows just yet. But but 20 years ago, we didn't even know that we created new brain cells. So the fact that we now know that and the fact that we, we know that exercise is responsible for that uh, is really groundbreaking. It's a big deal. So how does that impact aging and you know, when you're sort of losing your, your mind there? 
Right. It's the whole use it or lose it philosophy, which is that it's never too late to make improvements. It's never too late to prevent decline. Um, so, and certainly from, from a neural standpoint, when we talk about Parkinson's or dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, stroke, uh, MS for that matter, um, you know, exercise has really profound application. Um, and, you know, we, we see this day in and day out. And, uh, whether people know it or not, it, it's happening. Um, and sometimes inexplicably, but, uh, but it is happening. And of course, when we, when we study it, then we have markers and we can actually track some of these improvements, uh, which is, which is really wonderful because exercise is basically free. Um, it doesn't come in pill form. It doesn't need to be prescribed. Uh, it does need to be done safely, uh, but that's why we're here. So, you know, I'm listening to you talk about fitness and I certainly understand and agree with everything you're saying. And I'm thinking about kids, especially like just high school, because that's what I remember most. So when I was in high school, we were taught competitive sports, things like wrestling, gymnastics, basketball, baseball, football, things that you can't do as you get older. I would rather that the schools taught our kids Qigong, Tai Chi, yoga, Feldenkrais, Pilates, something that you can do for the rest of your life to enhance the rest of your life. What do you think about teaching kids this other kind of fitness? You know, it's it's complicated, and uh, but I do have an opinion on it, and that is that as we age, we're losing muscle mass. So sarcopenia is the loss of muscle mass as we age, and, and we need to combat that because our muscle mass, you know, we talk about strength, and we can talk about strength from an athletic standpoint, but we also talk about strength from a functional capacity. And as we age, that becomes essential um, because our function determines our quality of life um, and ultimately life itself. So... For instance, it's a great example. We do we, we see a lot of knee and hip replacement patients, and so that knee, when it's replaced, is bomb-proof. There's, it's not going to break, but without the muscle to support it, it's practically useless. Um, so that first year post-operative is, is really important to get your strength up and and do it in a safe way. And that leads to uh, my answer to your question: is the activities that are best for us as we age are typically non-concussive activities. Uh, you don't see a lot of 70-year-olds playing full-contact football, for instance. Um, rowing, as an example, uh, would be a non-concussive full-body movement where the ranges of motion uh, are much greater, say, than walking. And we've done studies uh, to prove this. Uh, the walk, Walking is a primary form of exercise. Um, while just about anybody can do it, it's terribly inefficient. Um, the ranges of motion are quite limited. Uh, it's mostly skeletal and it's support mechanism. There's very little muscular involvement. Um, so what we need to do is we need to be doing safe uh, compound, closed-chain, non-concussive strength training movements to support uh, our other activities such as walking. Um, so to, to, again, answer your question, uh, things like Qigong and yoga, those are wonderful, but they, they, they still need to have a, a component of strength training to stimulate muscle mass, to offset sarcopenia, uh, and maintain function throughout our lives. Do you ever work with kids, or is, are you mostly with people yeah. who are older? No, I do. I, I coach juniors um, at the high school, and uh, I work individually with, with young kids as well. So you, when you say you coach them, you coach them in these other competitive sports? Yeah, I coach them in rowing. Do you ever get a sense, just talking to the kids, that they would be interested in a lifelong fitness program? They don't. I mean, the kids that I work with, it's part of their lifestyle anyway, so I don't think they even recognize it. It's just part of what they do. Certainly, that's not a national trend, as, as we know. We've got a, an obesity epidemic in our youth. One last question on this, and then we're going to move on. But you were talking about rowing. So I had never thought of that. I mean, I knew, you know, I know you're a rower. But when you're talking about rowing, not everyone has 
you know, access to a crew and a, and a river or something. So what about rowing machines? Do you suggest that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we use uh, Concept2 rowing machines. They are the industry standard. And anybody can get them and have it delivered straight to your house, actually. You develop something called the Sidestep. Yeah. When it hits the market, it's going to be called the Latitude. It's a lateral stability trainer. And what we've done with that is really focused on the medial glute muscle as it relates to lateral stability and, and forward propulsion. So our ability to walk forward depends on our lateral stability. And what researchers and therapists of the world over will tell you is that just about all of us are weak laterally. And those falls are the most dangerous falls. So lateral falls are, are uh, the culprit for for hip fracture, femoral head uh, fracture. And then the mortality rate from those falls is quite high. And why is it high? It's high because a lot of folks simply can't recover from that because they don't have the functional strength to recover from it. And you're never too old to get started on this. Correct. You're never too old to get stronger. Uh, Again, it needs to be done safely. And and there's some basic uh, key points for that. Uh, Our systems that we use um, always use compound movements. And a compound movement simply means that you're using more than one joint at a time. Uh, A bicycle, for instance, a recumbent bicycle, your knee and hip are working together. Um, A leg press, your knee and hip are working together versus the leg extension where just the knee is isolated. Um, That's a lot of stress for the knee and the ligaments that support the knee. Same thing with a leg curl um, puts a lot of stress on the ACL. So that's interesting because... I mean, I, I, I've been to lots of gyms. I don't mm-hmm. work out in them. I just walk in, look around, look at everyone sweating <laughs> and go, no, no, that's enough for me. But right. you, you, when I, when I've worked with a, uh, a trainer at a gym or whatever, they do a lot of these isolating movements. I mean, that, yeah. you know, putting the strain on your knee or, or wherever else we're working. So yeah. how do we find someone, uh, that, that has this, cause you have your own philosophy of fitness. How do we find someone who operates in that mode? Uh, that's a good question. Um, certainly, I, I don't think you can go wrong if you if you have a post rehabilitative, uh, ongoing uh, strength and fitness program in a post rehabilitative setting, like a hospital clinic or a private PT practice. Um, th- that's kind of the rub. Not everybody has access to that. And the other problem with this industry is that people, when they go into a gym, they're going to assume, assume that everything in there is good for them, when in fact that's not true. Um, so uh, I would just tell people to steer clear of what we loosely call vanity movements, and those would be things like, um, you know, biceps curls and knee curls and knee extensions and hip abduction, adduction machines. Uh, anything where you're focusing on one joint uh, um, has very little practical functional application and has the potential to, to injure that joint. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Well, that's very interesting. So I'm, I've been doing this a long time, and I've been doing it wrong, I guess, from, from what you're yeah. saying. Uh, and the, the caveat there is that if you're in therapy and you're working one-on-one with a therapist, then, then primary rotary movements like that are good because the therapist is trying to establish or reestablish joint stability and range of motion. But in a gym setting uh, uh, where strength is, is the order of the day, 
um, that's the least effective way to go about doing it. Yeah, I'm just trying to look like the Hulk. <laughs> right. So, I have to watch. Well, when you graduate from Hippocampal University, you'll know better. <laughs> yeah, then I'll, I'll be like Bruce Banner, much more intelligent. All right, very good. <laughs> right. He was now, a doctor, right? Yeah, he was, right? He was a doctor. So, you know, I, I mentioned a couple of times, and I didn't give you an opportunity to define it, but I know that you have, because I've read your, some of your material, that you have your own philosophy of fitness. So what is that? Well, we definitely um, we definitely preach a less is more approach. Um, certainly, from an aerobic standpoint, uh, you know, we as a culture tend to think that harder is better. Uh, you know, and if I finish my workout and I'm sweating and I can't talk because I'm breathing so hard, that it must have been a good workout. And, and this is uh, unfortunately not true. Um, it's not that there isn't a place for interval style training, high intensity training, but it represents a very very thin slice of the overall pie. Um, so what we do in our systems is we utilize a, an RPE scale, rate of perceived exertion. So on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, if 1 is sitting on your couch watching TV and 10 is carrying that couch up a hill, um, we want you to feel like you're working at about a 3 to a 4, which is conversational pace. And, and, and that's a win-win because we want the systems to be in, a, in a, an adaptive state rather than a reactive state. And when they're stressed, um, they're trying to keep up. And so one of the things you can think of is, is like a, a V8 engine versus a four-cylinder engine. The V8 has much more displacement um, analogous to the heart. So if the left ventricle uh, is pumping out more blood in a given beat, it's a stronger muscle. It has more volume. Uh, that's much more efficient. A weaker, smaller heart uh, has to beat more time to keep up. And uh, not that everybody's heart is the same. They're very different. But some people actually perform quite well doing that. Uh, but it, it can be less efficient. It can be a, uh, more toxic to your body. So there's more adaptation at the, at the lower intensities. Also, you burn more fat, fat as your primary fuel source uh, utilizing this energy system, what we call a Category 6 energy system. And one of the studies that uh, I often quote is a study by uh, Fritz Hagerman, uh, who is our U.S. Olympic uh, exercise physiologist, just passed away uh, a couple of years ago, actually. Uh, but what they found in their athletes was that the athletes that trained at this lower intensity um, utilized about 84% of their energy from fats, versus the deconditioned higher-intensity athletes uh, only utilized about 50% of their energy from fat. This sounds so interesting. Honestly, I would be inclined to go to your center in, in Oregon. You're in Ashland, I think? Yes, and Medford, I think both. You have two yeah. places. But obviously that's Oregon, and uh, most of us who are listening are not there. So what could we do at a distance? There is an entity called the International Council on Active Aging, and they have a website, which is ICAA dot, I believe it's CA, because it's Canada, uh, versus dot com. And they have a facility locator um, that is probably a good start. And then the other thing I would look for if you're looking for a trainer is um, find somebody that is either a post-rehabilitation conditioning specialist or a medical exercise specialist. So PRCS or MES. Uh, PRCS or MES. Correct. And okay. I don't, if you find somebody in that niche, uh, probably can't go wrong because they're going to take good care of you. So how, how did you get interested in this? Um, I've been in the gym business most of my life, uh, and then I got into uh, post-rehab for knees and hips, 
um, basically just because of the need. I had a facility down in, uh, down in the San Francisco area, and most of my clientele was over 50, and so it just naturally morphed into the, the medical side of the equation, and um, I never looked back. So what about the spiritual side of the equation? So this is, you know, Spirituality and Health magazine. Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. see a link between the two, though there's no specific definition of spirituality that we're promoting necessarily. But, right. you know, lots of times you, when you're talking to someone who's a runner, for example, they'll talk about mm-hmm. runner's high. And my guess is, and this is a question more than a statement, but my guess is you've probably experienced something like that when you're rowing. Yes, absolutely. I think anything that you devote yourself to at a high level has a certain uh, meditative and uh, spiritual component. No question about it. I mean, there's there's a certain amount of enlightenment that can be achieved. Uh, and I've definitely experienced that. Um, wrote about that in, in my book, Racing Yesterday. There's a good plug there. But yeah, absolutely. There's a, a, a huge spiritual component. Um, the runner's high, you know, is, is um, there's a histochemical aspect to that, but... Um, uh, certainly, there's a lot of neat stuff going on in your body and in your brain and uh, in your mind. Well, as I understand it, you're releasing a lot of endorphins. Yeah, there are endorphins and testosterone, uh, all kinds of chemical responses. Um, when when we when we achieve our second wind, if you will, that's the body's way of figuring out where to put excess hydrogen and how to use lactate as a secondary fuel source, and uh, it's economizing. And once we've economized. That's that feeling of the second wind when you feel like you can just sort of go on forever. When you use the word enlightenment, what are you thinking when you say that? For me, it's a certain, it's a clarity. Things get really still and very clear and quiet. And that's the irony is that at that level, um, you're usually producing a substantial amount of power at great cost and it's very painful. So to get beyond that pain, I think there's an enlightenment there. So this clarity that you achieved, have you ever achieved it in, I mean, you're talking about in rowing itself. Do you think mm-hmm. people can get that, let's say, when they're working with you in a gym or working with you in some other setting? Yeah, absolutely. We we all have our aha moments. And uh, I can think of one client specifically that we try to we try to get that every session. You know, there's always something to learn. And we learn through our bodies, right? So uh there's a there's a New Guinea proverb that says that uh knowledge is only a rumor until it's in the muscle. And so we learn by doing and ingraining and reinforcing and patterning. And this process of neuromuscular patterning is a very big deal. Um and to ingrain something like that uh, there is a certain enlightenment. I like that New Guinea proverb. Say that again for us. It's uh, knowledge is just a rumor until it's in the muscle. So I imagine you don't have to be from New Guinea to really get that. I would imagine most people know that, maybe even intuitively. What keeps us sitting on the couch? Well, I think part of that, the irony of that is part of that is getting out of our own heads. It's getting into our bodies and out of our heads that allows us to do that. We overthink things, and when we overthink things, we we rarely learn them because we're, we're trying to process it at the wrong level societal-wise, socially, just the way the culture, the American culture works. We always talk about fitness. There's tons of fitness shows and all this stuff, and yet we're getting worse. Yeah, exactly. That's a really interesting phenomenon. What we've found over the years is that if people don't want to exercise, they're not going to exercise. And if people want to exercise, they will exercise. And it doesn't matter what you do externally or extrinsically. They've got to get it intrinsically. It's just amazing. I mean, we've got programs out there now where people's insurance pays for their exercise programs, and yet they still don't do it. But that would be their first excuse as to why they don't do it. Oh, it's too expensive. Well, now it's free. 
And then we've gone so far as to provide incentives. What if we actually paid you to, uh, to exercise? Would you do it? Well, the people that would do it would do it whether you pay them or not. And the people that won't do it won't do it whether you pay them or not. <laughs> so it's, it's sort of like, screw it then. I'm not going to worry about those people. You, you know, if they don't want right. to do it, they're not going to do it. And breaking my head to get them to do it exactly. isn't worth the effort. Though I imagine, and we're going to have to end with this, but I imagine lots of people come to you because they've had an injury and now they're motivated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. And our clientele definitely is a different ilk because we're talking about quality of life, not vanity-based extrinsic right. motivators. So our, our motivators uh, in the folks that we work with is primarily intrinsic. Uh, and it's, it's a quality of life issue and, it, and it's ongoing. Well, this has been fascinating and very, very helpful. My guest today was Andy Baxter. You can learn more about Andy's work at BeFitSolutions.com. I want to thank you, Andy. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was great. Support for this show comes from Shivananda Ashram Yoga Retreat, Bahamas, where yoga is more than a class, it's a way of life. With a mission to promote peace in the world, we invite you to immerse in a yogic lifestyle. Get started at shivanandabahamas.org. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats, which will work on any tablet or smartphone, and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston, and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.